This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that promises a budget surplus. Eventually. Honest. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me is Dr. Anirban Mahandi. G'day, Doc. G'day, Captain. How, How are you, buddy? You? I'm great. I Excellent. heard you, you become the new uh, treasurer or something. Well, I, I, I famously have said that I would love to be treasurer for a year, and that's it. There's a whole lot of stuff I would fix, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Not, okay. not the Scott Phillips budget, but it is budget week. But don't don't switch off, don't switch off. We're gonna, we'll cover it for a little bit because we kind of have to and it's kind of important. But then we will move on to the regular programming of business and investing news. Doc, we're also going to talk about the most expensive divorce in history. This is a $49 billion divorce. We'll let, expensive. we'll let our listeners guess who that might be. It's not me and it's not you, thankfully. Um, well, about that $49 well, billion. Dollars, if I had that kind of money... Careful. <laughs> your wife might listen to this. Just just be careful what you but, say next. Yeah, well, that's, but if I had that kind of money, you know, <laughs> life would be different. It would be di- different is a good word. Yeah. Different is a good word. Not better necessarily, just yeah. different. Yeah, life would be different. And we're going... <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about... So we talked last week about West Farmers and Linus. Mm-hmm. Interesting news breaking, hopefully, probably over the weekend, maybe even today, but we'll cover that and whether West Farmers has either missed out on a great deal or maybe avoided shooting themselves in a the foot. And we will dip in, as we always do, to the Motley Fool Mailbag. Mate, let's get this show underway. Now, the federal budget. Tuesday, uh, for my sins, mate, I have to admit, I've said this on Twitter, so I have to acknowledge it publicly here. It's one of my favorite nights of the year. I am that sad and that miserable as a person. I actually, I'm the the one person who enjoys budget night. I kind of like the finance bit. I like the politics bit. I like the fact that it's kind of, you know, all out there and we get to dig through the government finances in kind of a a one page, not one page, but a one speech snapshot. The thing's about a phone book thick, by the way, if you ever get in the actual budget papers themselves. And then we had on Thursday night, the reply from the opposition, the budget reply. And of course, the budget gets lots more press because it's the budget and the, the Opposition leaders' reply speech gets a little bit of coverage. This time in particular, though, I think that's kind of a bit, well, the wrong way around. We know there's an election coming up, probably May 11 or May 18, possibly May 25. So this budget document was less about the the country's finances, at least in terms of legislation, and basically an election pitch saying, hey, vote for me. And then two days later, the opposition said, no, 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 vote for us. What did you make of the budget this year? Well, uh, for, uh, I, I don't call it the budget. I call it the promise. <laughs> we got two sets of promises. <laughs> that's like every household's budget, isn't it? This is what I think I'm going to spend. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that will happen if you elect me and if I can get it through Senate. If is the big word, right? <laughs> yeah, well, there are two big ifs, right? First, you have to be elected. And the second, you have to you know get it through Senate as well, right? Right. And in the past, that was not such a big deal. Most budgets got through more or less. Of course, the, the, the famous... Tony Abbott, Joe Hockey, first budget was just completely rejected time after time after time, uh, which, of course, set the stage for Tony Abbott's uh, eventual removal. Uh, that was kind of the, the first seeds that were sown then. This time, even more starkly, because we just don't know who's going to be, frankly, in government or who's going to occupy the cross benches. So let's, let's, this was, it, there were election documents, let's be fair. There were no losers. And only and a lot of winners, and so you kind of, as with all elections, no no one ever promises to take money away from you. They just tell you what you're going to get, which is always lovely. Um, the treasurer saying everyone, I think up to, or I think literally everyone up to two hundred grand gets a gets a, a budget a tax cut in the future. The in twenty twenty four in the future. Yeah, I know. Wasn't that wasn't that correct? <laughs> and the opposition saying, well, we'll restrict that so that people under one twenty get a, bu- a tax cut. 
but we'll spend the extra money on health and education, the kind of stuff we kind of expected, right? So cancer treatments being free, a huge increase to the number of uh, medical procedures and tests and diagnoses that are now going to be free or or simply, you know, come under the PBS. Um, and a whole lot of kind of, you know, TAFE being retrofitted, that kind of stuff. Very much, these were... These were very kind of, um, I would say purely ideological, but they kind of fit nicely in the individual party's own kind of ideological frameworks, right? So yeah. less tax being less tax being uh, charged or promised to be charged, as you say, by the by the uh, the right of politics on the left hand side. Uh, some some tax cuts for the lower paid, but also more money being spent on other th- other services and things like I said, TAFE and medical and that sort of stuff. So sometimes I wonder whether there's some you know there is some economic or rational uh, logic behind some of these things, right? <laughs> so I mean, you can make an argument in both for both sides. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to make one. All right. So so let's say somebody's earning a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? The moment if you if you're at the at the top. Uh, bracket. Mm-hmm. If the if you tax them, let's say you know, let's say you you for societal good, we want to make the rich pay yes. a lot more, right? Right. Uh, assuming that that has societal benefits, but mm-hmm. now to get that money, you actually have to make someone work a lot, mm-hmm. be willing to work a lot, given that they might be paying say fifty percent tax, right? Right. So one of the natural human tendencies might be, huh, why should I work? You know, why should I work really hard mm-hmm. if I have to give away that money? I might as well just work a little less so that I don't have to give a... You know, it's, it's, it's all the psychological biases coming yeah, to Yeah, right. So Behavioral finance one, right? So it's, it's hard to know what actually works here, mm. right? You know, mm. does it work to tax, uh, you know, uniformly? Does it work to, you know... Why not have a simple tax rule that says, okay, under this, I'm going to only charge 20%. Above that, everything is like 30%, and then you're done. Vote one in Irban Mahati with <laughs> your new two-bracket two, uh, <laughs> so, two, two uh, tax system. Uh, Two-bracket tax system, right? That's, that's one of the things. Uh, I did think the... Um, the the proposal on the on the PBS came again. Mm. All of these things, though, the it's the details that yes, matter, it right? So it's it's one thing to say <laughs> all cancer treatments are going to be free, yep. right? But before they're free, mm-hmm. they need to be actually those drugs need to be on the PBS scheme. Right now, the PBS is the <laughs> pharmaceutical benefits scheme, and that's the list of drugs that the government effectively subsidises. So it pays the drug companies one price. It charges us much, 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 much less to actually purchase the drugs. Exactly. I want to say about six bucks for. For concession card holders, about forty bucks for non-concession card yeah. holders. Yeah, so, something like that. Yeah, that's really. And these cheap. are these are multi-thousand-dollar drugs, right? So it's yeah. it's a really meaningful impact for people on those with those conditions. But right. as you say, they have to actually be listed in the first place. Exactly. There's a whole lot of drugs out there that do. Well, I almost say the same thing because I obviously don't. But there are different drugs, for different conditions. Some, if you, if you're ironically lucky, in air quotes, enough to have a particular condition, you get cheap drugs. If you're unlucky enough to have a different condition, I mean, neither of these people are lucky, of course, but you then have to shell out possibly thousands of dollars a month. Sometimes $100,000 a year, you know, uh, for some of these treatments. But here's the thing, right? It is one thing to say it, but, you know, are you going to be able to get all those rare conditions? (laughs) Some of these conditions could be very rare, right? Right, right. And and therefore, the drugs are also rare. And therefore, the the rarer the drug, (laughs) the more expensive the treatment is, Mm -hmm. right? So there's all these, you know, little fine details. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. That's that's a whole other conversation about some some biotech and kind of pharmaceutical stuff, which is a really fascinating area of, of, frankly, investing as well. They don't have a lot of kind of biotech, a lot of pharma companies here in Australia, which CSL, of course, the big daddy of them all in Australia from that kind of medical perspective. Um, many, many more in the US, of course. And that question of exactly, as you say, how do you get countries to, a company, sorry, to spend enough money on some of those rare conditions yeah. um, when the cost of, of research and development is probably going to exceed the economic benefit purely on the basis of, you know, you spend tens, hundreds of million dollars trying to solve a, a, a particular problem, which might yeah. only affect a handful of people, yeah. society's got to decide how much do you pay those companies to do that stuff right. um, versus just letting the market dictate. Of course, Alzheimer's, cancer, dementia, 
AIDS, the, the kind of the more widespread diseases get more R and D because there's a more lucrative market at the yeah. end of the rainbow. The market is just bigger in terms of the total number of people. It 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 has economic impact right. uh, because you know people who get uh, Alzheimer's who get are not going to be working if they get Alzheimer's early. It's a huge drain on yeah, the yeah, yeah. Yeah. on the social system. So yeah, nice mate. Thanks for that summary. Um, uh, I think net net we're saying well you know of course what I should say of course is the the opposition's uh, budget documents do include the changes to for investors so there wasn't much by the way in the way of change by the the current government in terms of how they're planning to tax investors but we know the opposition has a long-standing policy to decrease the capital gains tax discount in other words charge you more for capital gains also to ban or to stop the refunding of franking credits and a removal of negative gearing. So while it wasn't new news, that's definitely part of their economic platform. And that will have an impact for investors if, as you say, they get elected. And then if, on top of that, the Senate passes some of those laws. Yep. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's move from the I don't know, I was gonna say sublime to the ridiculous, but I'm not sure how sublime the budget is. So let's move from let's move from from promises to a broken promise. Hey, how's that segue? Oh, that's brilliant. I should be in radio. Someone give me a job at Triple M. You are already in radio. <laughs> in Triple M. <laughs> Will Porter, our producer, just shook his head violently, so I guess that's a no. I'll be I'll be staying I'll be st- staying on the podcast. I'm worth exactly what people pay for this podcast, I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> mate, the most expensive divorce in history. The details were announced overnight. We're recording this on Friday morning. And overnight, the details of Mackenzie Bezos. Jeff Bezos is now, can we say, a strange wife? I think we do. Um, soon to be ex wife, is getting about 25% of the couple's combined Amazon shareholding. So she ends up with about 4% of the company. Bezos keeps about 16%. So maybe she gets, what is that, a fifth of that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably less than I frankly had assumed that she would get, given that the couple kind of had nothing. And Amazon, I don't even think existed, or was certainly in this very, very, very infant stage when the when they got together. The, the, the smart money, I think, was on kind of a roughly 50-50 split. That being said, she gets $50 billion. So you, you kind of, at some level, money stops, stops actually mattering, right? Whether you get 50 or $60 billion, I don't know that you could ever spend it. So maybe maybe that doesn't matter quite so much. What do you make of of the settlement? And, and more importantly, we're not really a gossip show here. But what about the investment impact or the the company impact for Amazon itself, and what it means about who runs the company and who gets the votes? Okay, so from the from the so one of the interesting things with the settlement was that she keeps twenty five percent of her shares of, yes. of of the combined shares that they had, mm-hmm. but gives him the voting rights now. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, that was, that was the interesting part. Ah. So he's, he's, he basically has effectively, you know, he, right. there was a nice post out there by her which said, you know, basically he wants Jeff to be able to run the company mm-hmm. and the teams the way he has been running them. So it's very amicable. And, uh, and, and I think actually he gets to keep Washington Post as well. He does. Uh, and uh, Blue Origin, his space and, company. Uh, and Blue Origin, his space company. So there might be other things that he, he might have given you. Know, maybe <laughs> maybe he's got like, uh, maybe he's got a few jets and uh, uh, and, and some, uh, you know, properties that, you know, he has given to her. He's been pretty, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the U.S. courts would have found, but I still find that remarkable that he gets the Washington Post, he gets Blue Origin, he keeps 75, 80% of the shares they had. Maybe he loses a couple of private jets, as you say. Maybe yeah. the house goes to somewhere else. But that still seems, again, look, if it's $50 billion, who's going to quibble? But I, I, I'm still surprised that he got away with such a good deal. Yeah, again, you know, uh, yeah, it is, I mean, yeah, I would have thought that, you know, something along, you know, 50-50 or 60-40 or right, something that right. would be more. But, you know, you, maybe the, the thing is that, you know, maybe, maybe $50 billion is such a big amount of money. What are you going to really right. do, exactly. right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, maybe she just wants this to, you know, be done or, and over and done in a, in a polite way and, you know, and, and then they, you know, <laughs> basically continue with life. I was fascinated, um, mate, that um, 
So Amazon doesn't pay a dividend. No. And if she's given over the voting rights, in theory, that means she either can't or won't sell the shares. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that either. But yeah, I, yeah but I think if she sells, I mean, there must be a clause somewhere that she can sell. And if she sells them, the, and the right would then, then you know, you know, he doesn't have the voting rights on them. I mean, even uh, fifty million dollars—it's a lot of money. But it's if it's all in Amazon shares, there's no dividend. You, you can't you can't spend the share certificates, right? You're gonna have to cash them to to you know put the put the kids through school or buy the new Porsche or the new Lamborghini. Well, maybe, or maybe he's he's also going to be paying some uh, yeah. monthly, you know, yearly I whatever. That might be part of it. Too. Yeah, maybe there's some uh, some uh, yeah. again. You know, it's the. Um, yeah, <laughs> and seriously, the most amicable divorce in history. It is very amicable, actually. She's been, I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to send, send judgment of anybody. We all have our own human failings, but I mean, he was allegedly caught having an affair with somebody else, or possibly, or whatever, whatever allegations and allegedly we put put in front of that. She's been incredibly, you know, <laughs> it, it could it could well be that you know he was having the so called affair after they had actually decided to split. Maybe the information of splitting was not out in the public. I like know, it. I'm speculating. I yeah, don't no, know. I like it. I like it. Um, I think that's a likely. I mean, you know, if yeah, somebody's, if people are hurt, then they want to be more, you know. Um, I guess they don't have revenge, you know. Vengeance, oh, we've, seen, we've vengeance. seen some fair kind of, you know, ugly yeah. divorces in our time. Exactly. So vengeance comes into play, but they, you know, maybe they had decided to split, and they're they're pretty private people, right? Yeah. So yeah. maybe they hadn't talked about it, <laughs> and then he was, you know, having his own so-called affairs because you know they had basically split. Yeah, <laughs> it was no, not known right. to people. So anyways, I, mean, I, I thought it was very interesting. I was expecting that there's going to be a bigger impact for um, the shareholdings of Bezos, but looks like no. And seriously classy from Mackenzie Bezos, I'll give her yeah, that. Yeah, very classy. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, West Farmers, we talked about last week. This is the this is the once upon a time retail kind of conglomerate investment company that all of a sudden out of literally nowhere decides to make a bid for a rare earths miner or a mineral sands miner as I like to call it because it uh, takes the PR spin away from rare earths which aren't rare um, Linus has said no so that's the first thing 1.5 billion dollars West Farmers was going to put on the table Linus said no no your money's not good enough for us why does Linus not like money it's not Mackenzie Bezos money maybe that's why maybe they're, maybe they're holding it for 49 billion dollars what's wrong with 1.5 billion dollars <laughs> I'd take it you would you take it if I was Linus I would be taking it it's only 4.5 billion dollars yeah take um, it <laughs> So interestingly enough, though, this is the timing of this is fascinating, and I, I think I think maybe time will tell kind of who made the right or wrong calls or who knew what. But news in the paper today that the Malaysian government is going to make a final decision on what has to happen with Linus's processed waste, which is apparently slightly radioactive. I, I, that, it was in the paper that it's slightly radioactive. I thought, is that like slightly pregnant? How, how is something slightly radioactive? It's either it's, it is or it isn't, right? It's slightly radioactive that's used for making roads. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so you dear. have slightly radioactive roads. What could possibly go wrong? Not, nothing. Then you'd have slightly radioactive cars. <laughs> anyway, so it's slightly radioactive, which is, which is wonderful. Um, now, the government's going to tell Linus whether they can or can't continue to process their mineral sands in Malaysia. Yeah. And frankly, this is going to have a big impact on the share price. If I assume, we, who knows where the share price is going to go, who knows what's been priced in. Prognostication is for people who are, I was going to say smarter than us, but probably dumber than us, people who think they know what's going to happen don't really. But in theory, if Malaysia says no, Linus is kind of stuffed. If Malaysia says yes, then Linus is kind of in the clear. You would expect that either way it's going to have an impact on the share price. It'll either have saved West Farmers a fortune or cost them a fortune, depending on what happens next. 
Yeah, can I be the dumb one? And I'm going to actually make a sure. prediction here. <laughs> oh, okay. This is game. Go on. Yeah, yeah, given, given, you know, I know a little bit of this because at, at one point I held shares, uh, unfortunately, really did not work out. It's very well. good of you to acknowledge that. Well done. Um, so, you know, this is the second time. It hurts saying that. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyways, um, you know the song and dance between the Malaysian government uh, on what they call this operating uh, license? Mm-hmm. At one point, it was used to be called temporary operating license. <laughs> <laughs> Which will tell you everything you need to know, right? <laughs> so now it's maybe called permanent operating license or sort of semi-permanent. But here's the deal, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say the Malaysian government says, yes, it's fine. Well, mm-hmm. it's not It's not final, right? I mean, it might in, in the interim mean the share prices go up only for the next government to come in and say, oh, you're still radioactive, right? right and right. they can take it away. Like, I mean, it's one of those scenarios where I think the lack of stability and the lack of clear policy, mm. um, you know, on their side basically makes Linus's situation very sticky. Good old sovereign risk. Huh? It's, it's basically good old sovereign risk. And it's a pretty high one because, you know, <laughs> it's like always dangling, right? And if, yeah. it's, if and it's a big enough issue, then it's a political issue. If it's a political issue, then, you know, the government changes, stuff changes, right? And it's kind of one of those political issues that are actually kind of hyper-political, which I know is kind of your, your, what you're implying, but that sense that everything's political, right? Everything, everything yeah. can be changed by policy. But it's one of those topics that an opposition party of any stripe can say, they want to have radioactive roads, we don't. Exactly. And as a, as a, as a political platform come election time, that's going to be an emotive issue effectively forever, right? Yeah, yeah. So so I think, you know, either way, Linus is in trouble. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the share price might go up today because it's a yes, it might go down because it's a, well, if it's go down, then it's like a permanent problem solved, right? <laughs> it's down. <laughs> but if it's yes, it does not mean it's yes forever or right, yes right, for a long right. time. So uh, maybe, you know, West Farmers has dodged a bullet. I don't know. It's funny. I, yeah, I, it's hard not to think... A little bit conspiracy theory, though, if it does get approved, in the context of West Farmers making a bid only a week earlier. Yeah. Someone, I don't say they knew anything necessarily, but it's hard to, it's hard to divorce the two topics, right? That mm. in the space of two weeks, we've had a an unsolicited bid from a cashed up conglomerate, and then kind of two-ish weeks later, a decision from the Malaysian government one way or the other. Mm. It's hard to imagine they weren't trying to get in front of that and figure there'd be a positive outcome. May not be, by the way. It may and not may be, yeah. uh, and could be very well, yeah. We'll see. Time will tell. We will check back in on the line of story, maybe a little bit next week. We'll see what comes of the Malaysian government decision, and uh, maybe maybe we can see how your prediction comes true. You you just don't want to let up, Linus. Right? <laughs> you just keep reminding me of my wounds. <laughs> oh, to, listeners, to be fair, Doc is Doc is nothing if not humble. You suggested to put we we talk about this, mate. So you've uh, you, you put your own your own self your own neck in the on the block, and and well done. I appreciate it. Value stocks, market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. What's that sound? Yeah, it's the Fool Mailbag. We are opening the mailbag again because we're getting plenty of wonderful questions and comments from you, our loyal and long-suffering, quite frankly, listeners. Uh, we, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you corresponding with us uh, and sharing some of your waking hours with us. Assuming you're not listening to this while you're sleeping, which would be kind of impressive for the podcast industry if it worked, but it doesn't. So uh, we're going to go through some of your questions and comments as always. Um, and I will again say, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at info at fool.com.au. the best way to get us on email. If you prefer, though, jump on Facebook. The Motley Fool Australia is our handle there. Or on Twitter at The Motley Fool AU. Send us a note, give us a comment, ask us a question. Uh, We love hearing from you and we love interacting with our fellow investors and with our members and listeners. Mate, let's get on with it with all that preamble out of the way. Question from Jeremy on Twitter. Thank you, Jeremy Cox. He says, a question for the podcast, which is great, by the way. So Jeremy's obviously listening and knows the best way to get his question answered is to give us a wrap. Well done, Jeremy. (laughs) Is there any general guidance on SPPs or should they be just another purchase decision? 
Jeremy, now, Doc, tell us what an SPP is and tell us how you think about them when it comes to your own investing. Awesome. This is a question, actually, we get a lot also on, on our forums it and is. stuff. And, and it's, a, it's a very good question. I actually like this question. So SPP is Share Placement Plan. Right. And typically, in, in this is actually very unique to Australia. So when, when companies raise money, they can go to institutional investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who say, are, what's who, an institutional investor? Institutional investors, are, you know, think about big super funds, you know. Um, investment uh, banks. Investment banks, uh, even funds, right? Big funds. Manage funds, mm-hmm. so they go to them and say, "Hey, we are going to raise some money, uh, issue new shares, yep. and um, at a s- small discount or some discount to the prevailing mm-hmm. price. Do you want shares?" And they would say yes or no. And if there is enough interest, then they're going to buy the shares, right? And there's going to be in most raises, that's the bulk of the money. Now I'm going to I'm going to stop you, man. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to break this down a bit further for our listeners who may not be comfortable or familiar. So. My shares are trading at $10 a piece, mm-hmm. and I've got this great new project I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but I haven't got the cash. Yep. And I either don't want to or can't raise money from the bank because they either won't lend me any more money or the interest rate's too high or it's too risky and I don't want to take that risk mm-hmm. or I've already got too much debt. So I said, well, the other way I can raise some money is to effectively issue some more shares. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I enlarge the number of shares on issue, which does dilute the current shareholders, by the mm-hmm. way, but hopefully mm-hmm. I'm doing it in a way that grows their overall wealth even though they get a smaller share of the pie. Mm-hmm. And I want to raise 10 million bucks to make my, my life easier. And so I go to the market. I say to some big guys, hey, I could, I could go to retail investors and we'll get to that in a minute. Or I could go to a few big guys at the top end of town and say, look, I need 10 million bucks. My shares are $10. If I give them to you for $9.50, will you give me some cash to raise money for my business? Yep. Is that kind of a-, a That's exactly what it is. Like, yeah. So, so let's say in your 10 million bucks, you raise maybe 9 million mm-hmm. from the big guys. Right. Right. Then the- I think this is a rule, right? That they have, they should, or, or there is an SPP. It's not exactly a rule because there are companies which don't do it, right? Uh, but but the SPP basically says, okay, then you go to your current shareholders, yes. and you say, okay, um, there's going to be a share placement plan which places, which says that up to a maximum of fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars per investor, mm-hmm. you can buy the shares at a discount. At, at basically, right. the, at, at, at basically the price that was issued to uh, the so I gave it to guy. the big guys. Here's your chance to get in on the job. Yeah. So this is basically giving retail investors an opportunity to get in. Mm-hmm. And the the thing with SPP to keep in mind though is that you it usually says up to fifteen thousand dollars. Yep. Right. But you may not get the entire fifteen thousand because if everybody applies for fifteen thousand, it might be way more <laughs> than what the company is willing to issue shares to, All and right. therefore you get what's called a scale back. So let's do this. So you've raised nine million bucks from the big end of town. Yep. You want to raise another million bucks. Yep. But all your all your investors say nine dollars fifty. That's a great price, and they all put their 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 orders in. Yeah. And that adds up to two million dollars. Exactly. So I want my fifteen grand. I put my form in. Say I want fifteen grand worth of shares at nine dollars fifty. Thank you very much. I won't try and do the maths on that because my head hurts. Mm-hmm. Um. And but the company says, well, it kind of turns out you guys all wanted more than we've got. Yeah. So we're all going to scale you back, scale back your orders, reduce them in yep. by some predetermined formula. Normally, it's pretty straight line. So yep. if they've if they've got offers for twice as much as they want to raise, I say, well, Scott, you wanted fifteen grand worth of shares. Here's seven and a half grand instead. Yep. That's exactly what happens. I mean, and and for, to be honest, fair, uh, scale backs of this form also happen for institutional placements. If if a right, right, if right. a company is really popular and you know it's shares in high demand, then the institutional guys also may, might say, okay, I want more. Sometimes the company says, okay, I'll give you more. Sometimes it says, no, 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 yeah. I can't give you. This is how much I'm willing to give yeah, you. Yeah, so sometimes the companies would say, well, if you if you want 
12 million dollars worth yeah we'll, we'll just increase the capital raising because we can use another three million bucks we can yeah. go and buy something else yeah. or put it in the bank or or you know pay down some debt so if there's companies throwing money at them often they'll, they'll take the cash yeah and then sometimes when companies are very confident they will also say bidding they, they might actually ask right. you know give a range and say okay you guys get to bid <laughs> and and we're going to give the money to we're going to give the shares to those people who bid the highest now right? we like that right as, as shareholders because if you said well i think i can get it from nine dollars fifty but if you can raise equity at nine dollars seventy nine dollars eighty exactly. instead because there's lots of demand yeah why not then the more you, you're issuing fewer shares yeah. and collecting the same amount of cash. So less less dilution. So that's the SPP part, right? So here, so, so the, I'm going to stop you very quickly because I want to do one more bit on the on the scale back and yeah. I'll let you go on the SPP. The other thing that's weird about this, and this is where you get into behavioral finance, right? If you and I both know, which we do, that most share issuances are scaled back, then you know that, well, if I want seven grand worth of shares, I better ask for 15 because I know I might get scaled back to seven. Yeah. So you've got this weird kind of auction market going on yeah. where, you know, it's kind of if you want seven and you apply for seven, you get three. Yeah. So you apply for 15, but then if not enough people take up the offer, you may yeah. get stuck with 15 as yeah. well, right? So there's this weird thing about you're almost trying to guess what the scale back might be. Yeah. So you can work at how much, you know, if I want 10 grand worth of shares, do I apply for 15 grand or 12 grand or 10 grand? Yeah. Knowing full well that if I don't get scale back, I've got to find more cash. But if I do get scale back, I get fewer shares than I want. Yeah. So, so the the the, the weird weird things that happen with, with <laughs> it. It's very hard actually to to decide how much to put in. Right. Right. So I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is you really need to see, or you need, actually you need a view on where the shares are going to be. Yep. Um, <laughs> essentially, when the SPP is allocated to you, yep. right? So right, if, exactly. <laughs> so if the shares are going to be trading at below the SPP price, yep. which is the share placement price, then you're better off buying in the market, <laughs> right? <laughs> if the, you know, in generally highly successful placements result in the shares trading above the SPP. Mm-hmm. So, so you would probably you're going to get a benefit by you know uh, by buying shares in the SPP. So, I think the 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 main things I look at is. Participate in the SPP if you want to actually increase your allocation. Right. Keep in mind that you don't really have a fine control on how much yep. you will be able to increase your allocation. There's a right. cap, 15,000. Right. You may not get the entire one, um, you know, so you really don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the price. Is the price really a significant discount to the market? Right. Right? If it's not, then I mean, you know, and you want to increase your allocation by 1%, you might as well just put the money there and buy it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, again, it depends on how much discount you have. Finally, and this is another important one, if you don't want to increase your allocation, at mm-hmm. least on a portfolio perspective, so not your economic interest in the company, your economic interest in the company is diluted at the yep. moment, right? So if you wanted to keep the same economic interest, then you want to proportionally buy shares, but you may not be able to because you don't have access to proportionally buying <laughs> shares. So it's also like, but if you want to maintain an allocation to a company in your portfolio, yep. then... Well, then you have to consider that. And maybe that means that you actually are not buying or buying. It depends on, you know, it really depends on what you want to do. Mate, so there's, there's, all, there's a lot there. of lot of equations to be considered. All right. Let uh, me let me, let me me ask a couple of questions. So the, the first, well, I'll make a couple of points actually. The first point I want to make is to your point about, do you really want more shares? We talk about behavioral finance a heap at The Motley Fool. It is, to my mind, the single biggest differentiator of investing returns over time is your behavior, your ability to behaviorally manage how you go about that investment process. And there's a whole lot of people. So even the question from, from Jeremy, which is a great one, he's asking the question because he's got a, a letter in the mail from a company that says, hey, do you want to buy some more shares? Now, for most people, they weren't thinking about buying more shares already. Mm-hmm. So it's this sense of this, again, this behavioral finance element of, I've got something in front of me that says, do you want to buy shares? That's, that's created a situation for me that I was never in in the first place, right? So mm-hmm. for most people, 
The answer should be, unless you're already considering it, why would you do it just because someone sends you a letter in the mail? Mm-hmm. And and that's a really hard thing to try to not do, right? You kind of, you see this letter, it's like, you can buy these shares. Oh, I guess I probably should then. Um, it, it subverts your entire investment process. The company you own may be at the top of your list for more money, right? You might think this is a stunningly great deal and so you're going to buy them anyway and great. But if you've got another one, two, three or four better ideas at any point in time, why would you give money to your fifth or 10th or 12th best idea just because you get a letter in the mail. And so, uh, you know, to your point about portfolio allocation, that's one reason, by the way. Um, your portfolio interest in the company is another reason. But broadly speaking, for most people, you should be saying, well, unless I was going to buy them anyway, and again, to the, the, the key point you made is the discount you're getting, does 5% less for the shares really make them that much better deal that puts it from fifth in my list to first to the next best stock to buy? And again, very rarely, right? Because shares move 5% up or down over the course of most months or certainly most you know quarters, most halves. They just do. And so unless you were literally already going to buy at that price anyway, if you said to yourself, look, if the price ever gets to 950, I'm going to buy another 10 grand's worth, then just because you get a letter in the mail, don't buy them just because someone's sending you a, a, an opportunity to buy some stock, right? It, it, is, it is behavioral finance 101. You change the conversation by putting something in front of somebody. You say, well, if you don't do it, you won't get them. And so it creates a whole lot of just, you know, um, mental gymnastics that frankly, you're better off not dealing with at all and simply putting it for the most part, I would say, in the bin. What do you say? Yeah, I agree. I like when you agree with me. It means you're right. You just like agreement. <laughs> <laughs> Modly full money. Let's go to the next question. Um, a question from Sunaj who says, um, Hi, Scott and Doc. New listener here. Excellent. Well done. Also new to the investment world. Before I begin my question, love your podcast, Smiley Face. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> For a new listener to know that we are absolutely narcissistic and love praise is <laughs> a pretty good observation. So, Sunaj, thank you for that. Um, he says, my quick question, what are your thoughts on investing via Spaceship Voyager? For a newbie like me, really appreciate your and Nivan's thoughts, uh, insight into it, I should say. Thanks. So Spaceship Voyager is not the Star Trek episode or the Star Trek series, though I do I do have a soft spot for Star Trek, for Star Trek Voyager, although um, I, there's a new one on Netflix, which is really good. New Star Trek. I love Star Trek. Really good. I'm a huge Trekkie. Have been for way back. Uh, Picard is still the best captain, isn't he? Of course. Yeah. Make it so. Uh, so <laughs> let's get out of our Star Trek nerdiness while Will hides his face in his hands. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's it is also telling age. That's the part of the problem, isn't it? Yeah. But the, see, people are the Star Wars or Star Trek. Though you're Star Trek. I'm Star Trek. I'm Star Trek. Will are you Star Wars or Star Trek, or are you just wishing we weren't talking about this and getting Star all Wars all the way? Oh, see, dude. see, see. <laughs> I used to like him. It's telling. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's two, it's two, two Star Wars, one Star Trek, or the other way around. Two Star Trek, one Star Wars. Yeah. Let's get back to the question. Um, so Spaceship Voyager. So look, Spaceship was a super fund that was launched with a huge fanfare a couple of years ago. They were investing in all the big tech stocks. It was going to be huge until it kind of wasn't. Um, ASIC had a couple of issues with the way it was marketing, so they had to make some corrective changes. Um, back on the back on the on the treadmill, back on the straight and narrow, they've now launched a product which allows you to buy shares, buy kind of make an investment. I should say rather than buy shares, make an investment in one of two portfolios using an app, their index portfolio or their universe, spaceship universe portfolio. There's definitely a theme here, um, and the idea is under five grand. There are no costs at all. Over five grand, it only costs you five cents for every thousand bucks on their on their index product, and ten cents for every thousand bucks are still tiny um, for their universe product. The index one effectively tracks um, hundred ASX and hundred US companies, roughly the biggest hundred in each of those markets. Well, it's not it's not really a pure index in the sense right. that it's like you know they're picking among those. They're still. constructing their own index exactly, yeah. and, and it's the equal universe, weight. The universe portfolio <laughs> is in capital letters where the world is going. W 
W T W G. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, so this, that's what they're trying to do, right? So they're trying to be a a, a, a new. I was a new age because new age sounds a bit kind of new agey. Uh, but they're trying to they're trying to be a modern new version of investing where you can really simply and easily and frankly under five grand completely free build a portfolio of either index kind of e indexy kind of stocks 100 of the largest us 100 of the largest asx or on the other hand a, a very specific just you know tailored index of the stocks they think tech stocks they think are going to be the best stocks out there to really generate the best returns for you as an investor so that's kind of what it is um, i like the idea that it's an app made i like the idea that it's easy for people to use so those are tick ticks the question remains for me, though, is this something that a new investor should be doing or are there better ways to get started on, on his or her investing journey? Yeah, so this is a hard one because, again, you know, uh, we, we oh, I looked at the product just a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, it's hard to – a couple of things. I mean, the fees are very low, right? Super low. Super low. So, to the point of, like, I'm not even sure how these people are going to make money unless they raise it, a squillion dollars. Exactly. So, so that's part of my, you know, one of the things I worry is that, you know, when you when you buy into a product with such low fees yeah. – um, you know, you just think about the sustainability, right? So if you think about the sustainability, then there's there's an issue here. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, at that kind of low fees of 0.05 and yeah. 0.1. That's amazing. That's, that's amazing. And it's great. But, yeah. it, it, you know, it has, and, and it's awesome that somebody's trying that. But mm-hmm. if you have like $200 million under advisement mm-hmm. in, in this sort of fund, then you're not making really a lot of money, right? Not making anything. You're not making anything. So yeah. how do you actually survive unless you scale up really big, mm-hmm. right? So maybe that's the game. Um, so I would I would personally be a little worried about that. Right. Um, but again, you know, if this thing was like, you know, had $10 billion under advisement or, or $10 billion of asset, mm-hmm. then, you know, this was a different ball game altogether, right? Which is going to be their end game. I'm Which sure. is their end game or, you know, maybe mid game, whatever it is. <laughs> Half time. <laughs> you, um, right. you know, but this is, this is just like, you know, trying to be, this is like basically being Vanguard-ish, right? Yeah. This is like Vanguard. All right, I'm going to have to stop you. Vanguard is? Well, the largest ETF provider of the world. Right. Index <laughs> fund manager. They, they started, they, they launched the very, very first investable Index. Yep. I started by Jack Bogle, who some people may have heard of. He died recently. Um, Vanguard is fascinatingly a not-for-profit company, not for which profit. I think is amazing. Part of the reason why they can offer low fees also means their their mission is very very clear, right? Was just to keep low fund, uh, fees as low as possible. And they keep dropping fees further and further and further. Yeah. So so I mean, that's the thing. So I think I don't don't have a view. I mean, you really need to know. Um, mm. You know, you need to have a view on their. Um, Sustainers yep. and and their you know the ability to actually stand. I, I I don't know what guarantees are there if, for example, you know spaceship goes bust, yep. right? And I'm not suggesting that they're going bust. I'd, I have no views on their finances. I don't know how it looks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you need to have some view on that. Indeed, I uh, look. I, it's a tempting. It's a tempting thing to say yes to. And frankly, there's not a lot of good reasons to say no in a hurry. <laughs> if you're doing, if you can get it for free and you can put small amounts of money in and kind of build a portfolio over time, there's. There's not many better ways to do it. The benefit here is that you don't pay brokerage that you would pay uh, to buy shares or even an ETF on the ASX. And so if you're going to put a thousand bucks in, you're getting it in for literally nothing. Um, you've got to pay 20 bucks brokerage to make a thousand dollar investment in an ETF on the ASX, for example. So it's cheaper. I will say over time, unless you kind of want to be with this product forever. And then frankly, when you want to make your first individual share investment, you've got to have a brokerage account anyway. Mm. So at some level, because that's such a narrow product, if this is all you're ever going to want to do, by the way, the fees kick in at five grand, so it's not free forever. Um, if this is all you ever want to do, then I guess I could say maybe it's worth doing. It certainly there's no harm in it. Um, but I have to say, for me personally, mate, I'd probably go the old-fashioned route, which makes me seem old-fashioned, which is uh, which is save up a thousand bucks and then go and buy an index ETF on the ASX. You can buy an Australian shares ETF 
uh, for 20 bucks. That's the Vanguard ETF. It's VAS is the code. You can buy the S&P, or sorry, the, um, the the rest of the world equivalent, which is VGS, again, for 20 bucks for $1,000 worth of shares. Actually, so it's, if it's under $1,000, it's $10 with Comsec, for example, actually. So it gets, it gets cheaper. Um, you can buy a NASDAQ ETF, which is the kind of the, the big tech index in the US, again, for the same price. So I, I kind of think if you're getting started investing, unless you are completely kind of, you never ever want to do more than just this, then if you don't, don't never want to do more than this, if Spaceship Voyager is as much as you can see yourself ever doing, then by all means, go for it. If not, and we have no uh, preference or otherwise against Spaceship as an organization, by the way, uh, just an investment product. If you are going to keep investing over time and adding more money and buying more things, individual stocks or other ETFs, I think you're probably better off getting on the train early. Yep. Sounds good. Modly for money. Mate, question from Gino. And Gino says, hi, Scott and Anirban. Love the podcast. Good man. Listen to it every Friday on my way home from work. So if, uh, if you see a bloke uh, in the train opposite you who's, who's smiling and laughing along and maybe wincing with my bad jokes, assume that's Gino and go and say good day. Um, I'm new to investing and I'm loving learning how the business and investing world works, mate. That is That makes our hearts sing. That is music to our ears. We love love that we're having an impact on like that on some people, helping more of the world invest better, which is our mission at The Motley Fool. I'm a subscriber to The Motley Fool, but I have a question that might be one to discuss on your podcast. I own a stock called Bubs. And I would like to know how the upcoming acquisition might affect my shares. I'm not so much worried about the short-term share price, which is excellent. We love that. Just curious how an acquisition and capital raising like this all works. Any explanation or information would be greatly appreciated. Keep up the good work. Regards, Gino. Now, mate, Bubs is in the vein of a Bellamy's or an A2 milk. They're sending infant formula predominantly to China. Selling some here and there's kind of, you know, it's 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 a bit of a me too-ish kind of idea. Doesn't mean it's necessarily bad, just that they're kind of jumping on the on the white gold train um, and, and sending in for formula to Asia in particular. And they've announced a very, very, very complex series of transactions designed to make the transition into Asia and the success in Asia better and have a higher chance of probability and frankly a higher potential total return than might have been the case previously. But there's an amazing amount of detail here. So we're not going to try and do all of the detail because frankly, no one loves listening to numbers and complex spreadsheets and flow charts on a podcast. But give us a sense of what Bubs is trying to do, how they're trying to do it. And maybe if you have any thoughts about whether the acquisition is a good idea or not. Right. So so a good day, Gino. Um, and the, the, so Bubs is a goat milk company. Not, oh, that's right. That's, that's, a, it's, it's not... That's the differentiator, it's, right? It's not the cow milk, it's the goat milk, right? So it's me to, <laughs> me to goat. Um, what next? Uh, I don't camel know. Milk? Camel Sheep, milk? Sheep, camel... I think camel milk. Can we get crocodile milk or something like that? Oh, we should do that. Yeah, maybe we should start a, that. That's, that's a good we'll idea. We'll call it Crocs. And that's yeah, take Crocs. It. And that, that, will, uh, that will really... Something. We'll work on that. <laughs> so, uh, that's my idea, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Just patenting it right now. That's <laughs> or right. reserving Too it. Too late now. If you're listening to this, Doc's already got that idea. You have to come up with your own idea. <laughs> yeah, so maybe you can go to kangaroo milk or something yeah, like that. possums so, or koalas. So, you know, I, so here's the thing, right? You know, I'm, I'm, We're joking about this. And, you know, uh, the, the, uh, you could joke about the same thing about A2 milk as well. So, oh, I mean, yeah, totally. So I think that some of these things are like, you know, the, there could be fads. There could be some reason why people love it. And mm-hmm. once people love it, this, it, it takes off. And to be clear, the company is saying that goat's milk is better or potentially better or maybe preferred depending on what uh, they, they Because make. they're closer to human milk. Right. Apparently yeah, in the, composition. That's the claim, right. Yeah, yeah that's the yeah. claim. So I, I don't know anything about the science really to, uh, mm-hmm. on that part of the science mm-hmm. to actually uh, validate it or not. Dude, but, just quite, you know so much more about science than I do. So if you know almost nothing, I know less than nothing. But, <laughs> so, but let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. So, so here, I think they have done a lot of tra- complex transactions 
transaction. That's very true. So what I think they're trying to do is they're trying to become a vertically integrated milk producing company. What that okay. was that you're going to ask me next? What does that mean? <laughs> Lucky guess. Yes. Vertically integrated. Vertical. That sounds like some nice corporate buzzwords. Yeah. If I was a consultant, I could get paid a lot of money for saying vertically integrated over and over again. Yeah. But that, I thought that's my my Basically, what they're trying to do is they're trying, essentially trying to own the, from acquisition of the milk, mm-hmm. all the way to basically turning milk to powder and then canning it and then, you know, packaging it and everything. They want to own the whole process. Now, some people would say, well, isn't that what everybody does? And the answer is obviously not. No, the answer is obviously not because you, you, know, you could be a, basically a brand's company where you actually get the milk from, you know, you don't actually have, uh, you know, don't own the farm. So you don't have, you know, contracts. You basically just buy the milk on the on the market. And then, you know, you uh, basically use somebody else's um, uh, facility for actually turning that milk into powder. And then you use somebody else's facility for putting those powder into a can and then shipping it somewhere else. Right? That sounds that's, a lot like what Bellamy's used to that's, do. That's, that's Bellamy's strategy. And that was, that was a great strategy because it was so-called capital light. They own no farms, no cows, no canning. You could just simply buy it off the market for a cheap price, whack a brand on it, yeah. market, create this marketing exactly. spiel and sell it for triple the price. Exactly. Of course, Bellamy's found out the hard way that it's not always the best way to go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every, 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 I mean, they fell for, uh, they had a number of issues that uh, hit them all at the same time, right? So, I mean, yeah. uh, but that's not, uh, yeah, we'll avoid that one. So different, this, different topic. <laughs> that's a different topic. In this particular case, I think yeah. what they're doing is they're basically, in the current transaction, they acquired a canning facility by canning basically okay. a, a tinning facility. Because they want to more control of the supply chain, maybe some more profit. Some more profit. So basically, they're trying to remove some of the intermediary, you know, profits that you know the markups right. that you pay. So they're trying to remove that markups by owning it. And that's the flip side of being capital light, right? Yeah. Be- Bellamy's got to be capital light, but had to pay everyone their profit margin on the way yeah. through. And also, you have to commit to uh, commit to actually, you know, certain amount yeah, of which uh, <laughs> certain which amount. Might have been their problem. Yeah, some certain amount of product, right? And when you don't buy that amount, <laughs> amount of product, then you you basically pay a fine. You still mm. got to buy that amount of product. Right? Right. So here you might have more control in the sense that you might be able to use some amount of the product and maybe use the rest of it for you know, third party, uh, for example, manufacturing. Right. Okay. So so that's the deal. The, they raised a bunch of money for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used a mob called C2 Capital, which has got right. nothing to do with the C2 Capital in Australia. It's actually C2 Capital based out of Hong Kong. Okay. And uh, apparently it is a fund that is blessed by the Alibaba's um, guys in China. That's some um, nice connections to have. Nice, some nice connections to have. So I think, uh, I don't know for sure, but if I have to speculate, a lot of the recent moves of uh, Bob's have been around essentially forming the China um, angle okay. and trying to have um, access to the China market because there are certain registration requirements that have to be met. This is, this is, these are risky moves, mm. uh, but if it works out, it'll work out spectacularly well. <laughs> if it doesn't work out, it'll be a lot of dilution. So this is, this okay. is, this is uh, risky. So Bubs raises some capital from Hong Kong. They get to buy a canning facility, which in theory gives them more flexibility and maybe some lower costs. Yep. They also possibly get some access to some connected people that who might make the path into China a little bit easier than it might have otherwise been. Yeah, so some very connected people okay. is, is, the, is the idea here. Okay. So hopefully that works in their favor. This is risky. If it works out, it'll work out well. I mean, their the Bob's brand has been doing really well, and I think most of it is the Daigu. So Daigu are people who buy stuff mm-hmm. here and then basically export it themselves as the people acting as exporters right right so i mean the bubs brand has been doing well so the, the question is can they push this through the regular channels through not just from you know the online channel but actually into mm. what is called the mother and baby stores okay so this feels like a risky deal with 
potentially, it, it, it feels like to me, so you, you tell me, you, you know the company better than I do, but I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, Bubs was on a certain trajectory. By doing this deal, they have on one hand diluted the, the, the current shareholders. Yeah. They've taken on a manufacturing facility, which might be a boon or a burden. Mm-hmm. So on that hand, oh, there's risk and there's dilution. On the other hand, they may well have given themselves some lower cost production and a much better opportunity to take a big slice of, or at least a, a bigger small slice of the Chinese market. So it feels like there was, they've kind of widened the range of potential outcomes as a result of the deal, right? More potential upside, but also a decent amount, particularly for existing shareholders of potential risk. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. The, the, yeah, this is it's still very risky. I, I think that I think they have been the risk has been widening ever since. They basically they've acquired most of the they have control over most of the goat milk in Australia, and New Zealand, seventy percent right. or eighty percent of the milk in they've Australia. They've cornered the goat milk market. They've, they've cornered the goat milk market, right? <laughs> now, if nobody wants to drink goat milk, then well, that's a problem, right? <laughs> right. Well, that's the that's the downside. That, right? That's I get the it. downside. Yeah, nice one. So, so I think I, I think yeah. I mean, if this thing if <laughs> if they can maintain or increase the trajectory of growth. Then you know you're looking at you know multi-bagger returns. If not, then you know you're looking at the share price taking a big hit, especially with the dilution that has happened. I just love the fact they're they've they've cornered the goat milk market. I think that's a, that's a fascinating kind of idea. Kind of is there enough goat milk to go around if they if they succeed though? I mean, are we going to see are we going to see goat herds exploding around the country? <laughs> no, I think they have, they have enough now to. I think I think step one was to get the goat milk. So they've right. got eighty percent of the market. I think that's enough probably for you know. I should buy goat meat futures. I reckon because if the price of meat milk goes up, mm. there don't be people killing as many goats. So the price of goat milk meat's going to go up. Man. What do you reckon? Is that a good trade? Oh, probably. I, I don't know that you're interested in futures and options and things like that. I thought I'm, that's me. I'm not sure. No, no goat meat, really. Just thought it was a funny idea. Okay. Let's, okay. let's not let's okay. get too casual. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you are a local options uh, expert. If you have any options questions, feel free to send them in, although I'm not sure options makes great radio. It's awesome. <laughs> Who doesn't like money? <laughs> Options is like money. All right, let's wrap this thing up before he gets on another run. Because everybody loves money. Very, very long time. All right, Doc. Well, that does wrap us up for this week. But before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money Podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. I said I was going to rewrite this this week, so I'm going to riff on it. I'll close my computer. Ready? Here's sound effects. Did you hear that? That's yeah. me closing the computer now. I'm going to have to try and make it up. So. If you're enjoying the Motley Fool podcast, please leave us a review. Give us some stars. Throw us a rating or two on your favorite Android podcast app or your Apple iTunes app because people will find it. It'll help us rate a little bit higher. And hey, we're doing this for free, so help help a brother out. Uh, Thank you very much for listening this week. As always, you can get more foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week with another dose of foolish insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.